Look at that. Perfect. All right. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage in the Mount, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a beast of burden. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, to God. Thanks Mara. Marbar. Um, in the year 2003, Andre 3000 of the hip-hop duo Outkast released the song Hey Ya. It was an immediate uh, commercial success. It became number one in the U.S. and several other countries around the world. Uh, the Rolling Stones, uh, you know, the magazine has, has a list of the, the top 500 greatest songs of all time. Hey Ya is number 10 on the list, which is amazing. And if you're my age, or at least anything like me, you will know that this song is the song that will get you on the dance floor at, at, a, at a party or at a wedding or whatever. You can be in a wedding reception, in the hallway, catching up some, with somebody you haven't seen in decades, and they're telling you a very meaningful, personal story, and hey ya comes on, and you're like, I'm sorry to cut you off, and you put your plate down, you, you gotta go, it's, it's go time. But, you know, for as um, fun and poppy and as enjoyable as that song is, um, it, it, is, it is not the lighthearted song we think it is. It is a song that is about a loveless, deteriorating relationship. It's a very sad song when you think about it. This, the, so here are the lines. The song begins like this. Uh, My baby, don't mess around because she loves me so and this I know for sure. Meaning my girlfriend, she doesn't, she doesn't cheat on me because she loves me. I know that she loves me. I'm confident in her love for me. But then he starts to wonder, but does she really want to? Does she, does she really want to mess around, cheat on me, but she just can't stand to see me walk out the door? Is this the reason why this relationship is staying together? Because we're just afraid of being alone? And so he realizes we're in this uh, loveless relationship together. And he says, well, thank God for mom and dad for sticking two together because we don't know how. We don't know how to keep this thing, we don't know how to do this. And so he asks this, you know, very thought-provoking question. He says, if what they say is, nothing is forever, well then what makes, what makes, then what makes love the exception? You know, if nothing is forever, then that means love is not forever. And then, it, you know, the, the, the verses of the song end with this really, heartbreaking question. He says, why are we so in denial when we know we're not happy here? I mean, it's a horribly depressing song, but because it has a baseline that won't quit, we, we think we, we miss the whole point of the song. The point of the song is not about shaking it like a Polaroid picture. The point of the song is about grieving this broken, loveless relationship. We miss it. In fact, Andre 3000 knows that we miss it because he says, Y'all don't want to hear me. You just want to dance. You're not paying attention. Now, I bring that up because uh, in, in a similar way, it's really easy to miss the point of church. 
It's easy to think, well, churches, you know, you come in here, it's, a, it's an hour-long-ish event that they throw once a week, and uh, you come and you sing some songs, and you get some free child care, and you get some free coffee, free donuts, and you, you, know, you get some teaching, and you connect with some cool people, maybe meet some new people, and we think that's the point, and we've missed the point. The point of church is not an uh, uh, hour-long event that happens once a week. The point of church is to participate in God's advancement of the kingdom. That's why Christians exist. Christians exist because we want to see the kingdom come. We want to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I know that, uh, at least I don't assume that everybody in here is familiar with the Bible or knows kind of what the Bible even teaches. But, but, but you should know, I want to tell you, and I want to show you here in just a second, that this is the main thing that Jesus talks about, the kingdom. In fact, let, let me just, you know, if you'll indulge me for a few minutes, just, just listen to this survey of stuff. If you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in Mark chapter 1, when the author Mark is introducing you to Jesus, the very opening chapter, the first words out of Jesus' mouth is this. He says, quote, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand first thing out of his mouth. And then in Matthew chapter 4, it says that he begins his public ministry, and he's going around Galilee, and, and, and what is he doing? Quote, he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. In fact, in Luke's version, Luke chapter 4 verse 43, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus is saying, this is the very reason I'm here, to proclaim the kingdom. And then he chooses uh, these disciples. He gathers 12 people around him, and then he, he sends them out. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 2, he sends them out to do what? To, quote, proclaim the kingdom. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, meaning this is the, this is the top priority, seeking the kingdom. And then, you know, you have Jesus going around, and he's telling all these stories. He's telling these parables. And what are all these stories about? Well, he says, well, the kingdom of God is kind of like a mustard seed. Or he says, you know, the kingdom of God is kind of like a farmer that goes out sowing, you know, seed on the earth. All these parables, all these stories are about the kingdom. And then you see Jesus healing people and doing all this kind of crazy, miraculous stuff, and you wonder, okay, why was he doing that? Was that just to flex? Was it just to kind of show off a little bit that he's, you know, powerful? No. Jesus tells you. He says, you know, in, in Luke chapter 11, verse 20, he says, these miracles show, quote, that the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then, in fact, he, uh, as, he's, as he is arrested and he's being executed by the, the Roman soldiers, uh, you know, they make this makeshift crown, and they put it on his head, and they put him on a cross, and, and above, above his head on the cross, they put this plaque that says, King of the Jews, and it's their way of saying, okay, we knew that this was your main talking point, and here's what we think about your stupid kingdom. They, they throw it in his face. They're, they're mocking him. They're like, okay, you want a coronation? How about this? And so Jesus dies, and the Bible says three days later, he, he's, he raises from the, he's raised from the dead. And when he's raised from the dead, he meets up back with his disciples. And what does he do? 
Acts chapter 1, verse 3 says this, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So here's my point. The kingdom of God was the main thing that Jesus talked about. And because it's such a big deal, we're going to take the entire fall, this, uh, you know, here at Redeemer, and, and talk about it during this uh, time of when we look at the Bible together. We're going to talk about, okay, what does that mean? We're going to get into the weeds of the ins and outs of what does it mean? What does it matter? What are the implications of the kingdom of God? And, and one of the reasons why we want to do this is because if you're somebody who's not a Christian, and you're exploring Christianity, you're checking out church, you're trying to figure all this stuff out, this is the bullseye on the target. You get your head around the kingdom, you, you, you've gotten your head around Christianity, and that'll give you a better, you're in a more educated position about knowing what to do with it, getting your head around the kingdom. And if, you're, if you are a Christian, if you're someone that says, I like Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, Getting your head around the kingdom is just as important for you because this is, what it me- this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it looks like to follow him. This is the bullseye of the target for you as well. So we're going to take the whole fall, but this morning, just by way of uh, introduction, just to kind of ease into this topic, I, I want to look at really just one, one thought. It is Jesus' claim to be king that we're going to see in this passage, Jesus claims to be the king. So I want to look at this really under two headings. First, what that means, and secondly, what that assumes. What it means, what it assumes. First, what does it mean for Jesus to claim to be king? Well, look at this passage. Uh, in Matthew 21, uh, towards the, this is towards the end of Jesus' life. Him and his, uh, his entourage, his disciples, they're, they're about to enter into the city of Jerusalem. And, it, and as you'll see in verses 1 through 3, Jesus gets really particular about how he wants to enter the city, which is really strange. Most people just, oh, I don't know, walked in. They just entered into the city. But Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not going to go in like that. He sends his disciples in ahead of him, and he says, I want you to go find a donkey, and I want you to go find that donkey's colt and bring them to me because that's what I want to enter into Jerusalem sitting on. Now, why? That's pretty bizarro. Here's why. Because there's this passage in the Old Testament from a a, a book called Zechariah, and that book says one day God is going to show up for his people, and he is going to reveal himself as their king by entering into Jerusalem like this. Look at verse 4. It says, this took place, Jesus arranged this to take place, Uh, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, Zechariah, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, which is another word for Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So here's what Jesus is doing. He is intentionally creating this dramatic scene to make that claim, to make that point. Behold, your king is here. 
I am your king. And in fact, this was so obvious, everybody in the crowd got it. They, they, as, he, as he rolls into town, they gather around him. They're crying out to him. They're saying, save us, save us, save us. In fact, in, in Luke's version of this story, Luke chapter uh, 19, the, here's what the crowds yell. They yell, quote, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So they get it. They get the point that Jesus is making. I am your king. This is a claim of authority. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 28, just a few chapters later, Jesus makes this crystal clear. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now think about that statement for a second. All authority in heaven and on earth, mine. Jesus is saying, I rule over uh, the people of Israel. I rule over the Roman Empire. I rule over the United States. I rule over the orbit of the planets. I control the galaxy. I control the time when people die, and I control the time when people are born. There's not one molecule in the universe that doesn't exist to do my bidding. I am the king with all authority. That's what he's saying. Now, (laughs) no sane king ever said this. This This is so outlandish. It is so over the top. And, and here's what this means. What this means for you and me is it, is it puts us in a pretty awkward position, in, in an unavoidable position. And here's what I mean. We live in a cultural moment that says all religions are essentially valid. They're all basically kind of the same. And so whatever you want to believe, it's cool for you. I'll believe whatever is cool for me. Don't tell me what to believe. You know, whatever's true for you is true for you. That's cool. That's, you know, And so there's the sentiment that says all religions are the same, all religions are kind of equal, they're all equally valid. And there's 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 something to that that is uh, attractive and good. It's it's um, it's not kind to just bulldoze over other people's boundaries and and you know tell them this is what's true in the world. And nobody likes to be just beaten over the head with other people's beliefs. There's a there's a there's a call to civility and kindness that I think. Is, is welcome and awesome. And yet, there's also something to that sentiment that when you start to think about it, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. All religious claims are equally valid. That, that, that doesn't really hold water. And, and here's what I mean. Let's just assume right now, right here at Redeemer, I stood up, just like I'm doing right now, and I said, hey, welcome to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Redeemer's a church. And what that means is we're a community of people that do this and that, and uh, oh, by the way, I'm God. And I created you. And I created your family. I know all their names. I, um, I, I have always existed. There's never been a time where I haven't been. I just, I am. And I control every molecule in every millisecond. Now, if I said that, uh, that, would, that would put you in a position where you had one of two choices. Option one, you would say, okay, wait a second. I think I believe him. That adds up to me. Uh, that explains why his magic tricks are mind-blowing. Um, and and, and you, would, you would believe me. Or option two, you would say, I think I need to find a new church. Things got really weird this Sunday. 
or uh, I think I need to I need to inform the authorities that there's this uh, man, this maniac that's starting this cult in Midtown. But but if no but nobody who was listening to what I said, nobody would come up to me after the service and pat me on the back and say, "It's a good sermon, Pastor. I took some good notes. Very inspirational." No, no one would say that because that's not a rational option. When somebody says something like that, that forces you to the extremes, that's what's happening with Jesus. When Jesus shows up and says, I'm the king and I rule over everything and all authority has been given to me, that pushes you into one of two extremes. Either you say, I believe him and he is the king and I'm going to crown him, which means that he's not on par with every other religion. It's superior over and against every other religious truth claim. It can't be equally valid. It has to be superior because it's so different. It's so radically different. Therefore, your only option over here is to crown him, to say he is the king and I'll bow down. I'll give everything in my life to him. I want him to rule and control me. Or option two, you say, this guy's crazy. I don't, believe a word, this, I don't believe a word of this. He's delusional at best, or he is intentionally lying at worst. Either way, it's still not on par with every other religious claim. It's, it's way worse. Christianity can't just be equally valid. It, it's it's got to be dangerous. And so your only option over here is to crucify him, to reject him. So my point is, There's no middle ground. Jesus doesn't give you that option. It's all or nothing. You crown him or you crucify him. You worship him or you reject him as crazy and and as, as wicked. Now, I know some people are in the process of trying to figure that out, and that's okay. That's okay for you to figure that out. I'm just saying, ultimately, you can't land in the middle. You can't land. It doesn't, you can't land by saying, well, I kind of like Jesus. Don't you see uh, what Jesus is doing? Is, is he's pressing up against our agreed-upon cultural value of moderation. You know what I mean by that? This, we, we all kind of agree, do all things in moderation, which there's, there's wisdom to that. You should do Netflix in moderation. You should do Jerry Snow Cones in moderation. But when you have somebody who's saying, I'm God, you can't do that in moderation. But a lot of people say, well, okay, a lot of people say, I like Jesus. I, I know that, like, people can get, like, weird and fanatical with this, like, religion thing. People can kind of get extreme with this. I don't want to be like that. I want to, you know, I want to do Jesus in moderation. I like him, but I'm not going to get all crazy with it. Jesus really doesn't give you that option. That's not a rational conclusion when you're hearing somebody say, I created you, and I've always existed. It's either crown him or crucify him. So you see what this means? This claim to be king, it forces you into, into one of the extremes. There's no middle ground, ultimately. But here's the second thing that I want to try to tease out. What that assumes. If Jesus, if Jesus is saying, I said Jesus, if Jesus is saying, behold, I am your king, what does that assume? Well, um, Here's how I want to try to answer this. Um, I don't know if you've seen the TV show uh, The Office, but it's a, great, uh, it's a great show you should check out. And uh, there's a character on the show who's, a, who's an employee of this uh, paper company, and his name is Andy. And at one point in the show, he gets promoted to being the regional manager for a season. 
And he's great. I mean, he's no Michael Scott, but he's great. And uh, he's doing his thing. And at one point, he, he goes, uh, he steps away from the office for, for a few days. And when he leaves the office, that happens to be right around the same time that the company also hires this new employee named Nellie. And when she shows up at the office, she doesn't have a desk. She doesn't have anywhere to sit. So she just moves into Andy's office, the boss's office. And she sits down there, and it's a little weird, but the employees kind of eventually go along with it. And she just assumes the role of a boss. She's bossing everybody around, and everybody in the office is kind of going along with it. So after a period of time, when Andy comes back, and he goes over to his office, and she's rearranged everything, and she's set up shop in there, he's like, what, what are you doing? Get out of my office. And she goes, no. And he says, you're not the boss. Get out of here. And she says, if you don't get out of my office in five seconds, I'm going to dock your pay $10,000. And he kind of laughs at that. And he's like, you can't do that. What are you talking about? And she goes, five, four. And he kind of like runs out of the office with his tail between his legs. What just happened? She rolled in and replaced him. She set up shop. She said, I'm the boss now. When Jesus rolls in to Jerusalem and announces, I'm your king, what that assumes is that he intends to rule over you and to rule over me. He intends to kick out and replace whatever it is that is currently ruling over you and is currently ruling over me. That's what this assumes. What it assumes is that you and I have a king and it's a bad one. I don't know if you know this about yourself yet or not. You probably do. But every single one of us voluntarily gives something permission to rule our lives. You know what I mean by that? There's different things that we say, this is going to be the thing that's going to control me, that's going to rule over me, that's going to reign over me. So just think of a couple examples. For some of you, the thing that you have said, I want to be the thing that controls my life, is money. It's going to be the thing that controls my thoughts. It's going to be the thing that controls my decision-making. It's going to be the thing that I obsess about, that I constantly check on, that I'm just constantly consumed by, money. Now, is money a bad thing? No. Money is a wonderful thing. Money comes in very handy. Money is helpful. Money is good. But money is a terrible king. Money as king will make you incredibly anxious. It will wreck your relationships. It, it, will, it will make you competitive. It will turn you in on yourself so fast. And Jesus is saying, I have come as a better king. I've come to kick money out of the office, as it were, because it's, it's making you miserable. I'll give you another one. Some of you have said, well, the thing that uh, I'm going to give permission to rule in my life is being nice. Being nice. Where every situation I'm in, the thing that's going to control the way that I relate to other people is I've got to be nice. I've got to be the nice person here. Or at least I've got to be perceived as being the nice person. Now, is being nice bad? No. I wish way more people we're nice, be nice, but they, you know, but, but being nice 
is a, as a king is a terrible king. It will make you codependent. It will make you a coward. It will make you uh, not able to say the hard things that sometimes you need to say. It's a terrible king. And so Jesus comes in and he says, okay, all of, all of these things are uh, ruling your life, and I, and I intend to rule your life in a way that is much better. And so the question for you and for me, for you and for me to wrestle with is, what is the thing that we have given permission to rule our life? Is it success? Is that the thing that we're just letting control us? Success, going after success? Is it pleasure? Is it our parents? Whatever it is, Jesus has said, I've come to kick it off the throne. I've come to set up shop. I've come to take over. But here's the million-dollar question. How does Jesus do it? How does Jesus take over? Because the reality is every other earthly kingdom advances in the same way. Every empire, every nation that's ever been, as it expands its borders, as it takes over, you know how it grows. It takes over through force, through violence. You see that happening with Russia and Ukraine right now. It's, we will take over your country, and we will use drone strikes and missiles and bombs to do it. I mean, you, you see that with um, King George in Hamilton, the musical. I mean, remember, he says, I will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love. That's how earthly kings advance their kingdom. Earthly kings come in power, and they make you suffer to benefit them. But look at Jesus. When he shows up into Jerusalem, he is intentionally not riding in on a war horse, but a donkey. I mean, look at, look at how the end of verse 5 describes this animal. It describes it as a beast of burden, which means this is not an animal that is typically used in war. This is a service animal. This is like somebody rolling into a city with the purpose of conquest, of taking it over in our modern day, but they're rolling in not on a tank, but on a forklift or a tractor. It does not make any sense. And in fact, it, 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 it almost it gets worse because Jesus it says he's not riding in just on a donkey, but on the colt, the foal of a donkey, which is the young miniature version of the donkey, the baby donkey. This is like the miniature pony that kids ride on at like horseback riding events. This is little Sebastian of uh, Parks and Rec. That's what he's riding in on. And you think, okay, why is he doing this? So here is a king with all authority and with all power, and yet he's not coming in for his interests. He's not, he's giving up his power. He's, he is humbling himself. He's releasing power for the sake of the people that he has come for. Here is a king that is willing to give up all power, and it's not, you don't just see this by him riding on a donkey. You see him ultimately do this by getting on a cross. If Jesus has all, all authority and all power, like he says, he, he, he could have just blinked and the Roman soldiers would have just evaporated in a second. But he allows them to chain him up. 
He allows them to tie himself up. He allows them to beat him senselessly. He allows them to nail his body to a piece of wood and get strung up on a cross. Here is somebody who is giving up all of his power, all of his freedom, all of his resources. Why? Because he is taking the place of traitors. He's bearing the penalty. He's bearing the punishment in his body for the people that have rebelled against his kingdom. Why would he do that? Because he's a better king. He's a better king. Earthly kings, they come in power and they make you suffer in order to benefit them. And yet here is Jesus who is the true king and he comes in weakness and he suffers in order to benefit you, in order to benefit me. And when you see that, when you see what Jesus was willing to give up, what it cost him to love you, when you see his mercy and his sacrifice, that's what makes your heart want to crown him. That's what wins your heart over. That's when he conquers your heart, as it were, not by force, but by love. When you see, oh my word, this much mercy, this much grace, this much sacrificial love for me, his enemy, his, this person who's rebelled against his kingdom, that's what makes you want to crown him. That's what makes you want to say, okay, I got to give this person the reins of my life, not anything else. All these other tyrants can go. Jesus is what I want. So here's the question for you as we finish. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with him? These claims, they are so outlandish. They're so over the top. And the story is, is, so, it is so beautiful and it has impacted human history at such a level. You can't get around this. You can't make this go away. You've got to do something with this story. Do you crown him and bow the knee to him and say, yes, this is the king that I, my heart is longing for? Or do you say, this is crazy town, this is a joke, and everything that we're doing right now is madness and dangerous. And so the question that I want to leave you with is this. What does it look like then to relate to Jesus as your king? Not just as a historical figure that you might find fascinating. Not as like this uh, ancient life coach that has helpful advice for your life, but your king what does, that, what does your life actually start to look like when he starts to rule over it? And in many ways, that's just kind of a, a teaser for what's to come because that question is what we're going to try to answer all fall. What does it look like to relate to Jesus as king? Well, I'll leave you with that, but I hope you join us again next week. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, these, uh, these claims are so, um, they are so polarizing. They're so unavoidable. I, I pray that you would give us grace so that we know what to do with them. And Father, I pray that you would protect us from being comfortable with just settling for some squishy, superficial middle ground, which doesn't actually make sense. But Father, give us the honesty, give us the integrity to actually deal with what Jesus has said and therefore to either reject him or to embrace him. Only your spirit can help us do that. Only your spirit can make a, a king that is this uh, weak 
and this bloody and this uh, humiliated, only your spirit can make a king like this beautiful to us. So would you do it? Would you make this king precious in our sight? And it's for his name's sake that we pray. Amen.